Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the show, man. 
Hold on, let me just a second, y'all. I'm sorry. Boom. It had been a uh, kind of hectic morning, y'all. I apologize. Uh, doing the show at a different time. Um, yeah, I had an appointment I needed to get to this morning. I apologize for that, y'all. Um, but we are here live in effect. And this is part six. I know a lot of y'all got the title as Young and the Restless. That, that was not the title. Um that was bad communication on my behalf um, to Mashaba to set the show up. This is actually Never Wax Pale Part 6, and I'm definitely going to continue uh, from last week going into the uh, the people, the falsified people that call themselves Jews and or not. Uh, okay, the link is missing. Hold on, y'all. I'm still getting text messages. I'm trying to send the link out to everybody. There we go. So this is part six, six of Never Wax Pale, y'all. So uh, I'm quite wild, like I said, which means good morning in the ancient Paleo-Hebrew. I'm your host, your brother, your friend, as always, Tazapa. I'm joined once again by my wife, Hasadiah, in the building. Shalom. And I uh, hope everybody is healthy. Hope everybody had a great weekend, a great Sabbath. Um, let me get this real quick. Yeah. I got it, Michelle, but the water. I, and I apologize, too, bro, for the uh, miscommunication. So I want to make an announcement, y'all, on this is coming up, the Masharah Yasha Allah. This will be the 18th annual Hebrew Summit, 2023, in February, y'all. So in February, uh, let me see, what day is it starting on? Mm, February 3rd, y'all. So February 3rd, the 18th uh, annual Hebrew Summit is going down in Houston, Tejas, going down to H-Town, man. Our brothers, our brothers' school, ISBHPK, Houston, is the host. They're hosting, man. Very excited about that. Very excited to get down, see those brothers, to fellowship, uh, to to just uh, talk, man, and shoot the shoot the, the the current events and the politics of the day. You know the old saying, "Shoot the me- shoot the mess." You know, I'm trying to be politically correct, trying to watch my language. Because uh, I don't want to send people to where they get turned off by profanity and they can't receive the message, because that happens quite a bit. Uh, I've been guilty of that. So um, without further ado, man, I got a lot of stuff I want to unpack. There's a lot of stuff going on, man. Like I said, it's a, it's a beautiful time, man, to be a Hebrew Israelite, man. But I want us to understand also that uh, the persecution is on its way. So the Great Awakening happens first, and then we start getting persecuted. So y'all need to gird y'all loins up and be ready, because get ready for battle, y'all. Spiritual warfare. Get all those battle scriptures ready. No form against, no weapon formed against thee shall prosper. Uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. I got a little bit of that going on right now. My immediate family. 
uh, not to, to touch too much on it, man, but got a, a relative that's um, in the clink in the big house and got my mama trying to pressure me to, to, to help, and that's not going to happen. The scriptures say that the law is made for the lawless, y'all. The scriptures also say, and these are the two scriptures I've been hanging on dealing with this whole ordeal. It says, thy own wickedness shall correct thee. So we got to understand that as people, as human beings, especially as Israelites, that we are accountable for everything we do. Every decision we make, we're going to be held accountable for it. And we can't blame other people for the decisions that we make. Hell, if that's the case, I'll cry y'all a river right now and get the violins off playing, and I'll run y'all down all the bad decisions that I make that I'm currently paying for and dealing with. But the Most High said, uh, manfully, as manfully changing this life, this is in the Apocrypha, man, and, and First Maccabees, I believe. This Maccabee said this, as manfully changing this life, man, we have to manfully, we have to man up. We can't be little kids. You made a decision, it was a bad decision, I deal with it. Send prayers to the Most High and stop sinning. Stop doing the stuff you did to get you in that position. Point blank, period, man. Don't get no deeper than that. It's simple. We make it hard. Anyway, let's get uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. It says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Can I get an amen? Mm-hmm. Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Man, this is the prayer we need to be sending up on the daily so we can get the hell up out of here so we can stop having these damn traumatic stories about our lives and our relatives and all this other stuff and stop being bombarded with all the wickedness and madness from the time you wake up to the time you close your eyes, man. Let's get Psalms now. Psalms 118.24. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Man, I'll be reminded of this. And and that uh, my internal battle, power against Lee, power against Ed, has a power against the old cornal man. Tell the power, you say this, you teach this in your show, you believe in this, girt your loins up, nigga. This the day which the Lord hath made. We rejoice and be glad in it. Good or bad, happy or sad. The Most High brought you to it. He'll bring you through it. Don't be a hypocrite. That's what I tell myself. I teach people this. I tell people this. I have to believe this myself. And I wholeheartedly do, y'all. That's why I'm confessing my faults right now to let y'all know that we have to accept it. We have to. Like I said, the Most High brought you to it. He's going to bring you through it. You'll come out better on the other side because of it. All right, y'all, gird your loins up. 
All right, so I want to send shouts out to, first of all, my brother, Mashallah. Shalom, Maki. How about sending y'all shout out My brother, my best friend, my partner in this. Shalom, Maki. I want to send shouts out to our brothers here in San Antonio, Tejas, our brothers in H-Town who are hosting the summit. Hope y'all caught that. February 3rd in H-Town, our brothers up in VA, our brothers in Rochester. Shouts out to the brothers in ABQ, the Kirks, and shouts out to Kawakab down in Guatemala. And shouts out, man, to 12 tribes scattered worldwide, man. To all the brothers and all the camps out doing the work, man, may the most high bless y'all. Keep y'all safe, first and foremost, and keep y'all out of harm's way and continue to give y'all the strength and fortitude that is needed to continue to to teach this word and to be resilient in this walk in the truth. All right, y'all. So I still have a lot to unpack, and I do, man. So the first thing I want to get into, I don't know if y'all seen it or not, but uh, Jason Whitlock, uh, he used to be an analyst, uh, sports commentator for ESPN. Now he has his own podcast. And I seen him a couple of weeks back. He was applauding uh, the brothers at IUIC that showed up for Kyrie and uh, went so far as to have uh, Bishop Nathaniel on the show. So uh, I was impressed with that. But when I watched the interview, I was like, wow, this is how you this is how you gonna do? This this is why you got the brother on so you so you can do this. So let me just stop bumping my gums, y'all, and I'm gonna play y'all parts of the interview that I wanna deal with. If you haven't seen the interview, uh you can catch it on YouTube. It's titled Whitlock Interviews Black Hebrew Israelite Leader, Bishop Nathaniel. All right, uh and then a lot of my brothers got feed, had feedback, they hit me up. Uh, on the group thread, and a lot were offended, and as well as all of us, by this term, black Hebrew Israelite. It's, it's a mockery. Uh, and I'm going to get to that, too. But let me tell you all parts of this interview, and I'm going to just dive in with my little commentary. Government penalties or restrictions on how much income you can take so this or is when him, you can take he's it. He's doing a commercial <laughs> response. Try doing that with I'm your 401k or IRA. Exact spot. You can't. But, this is a strategy famous uh, businesses like McDonald's use so when no banker would lend them a dime, and almost anyone almost can do it. You can get a free report uh, with all the details on how bank-on-yourself strategy adds guarantees, predictability, and control to your financial plan. Just go to bankonyourself.com. So like I said, y'all, he's doing a commercial right now. He's almost there to the interview part. Uh, Here we go. Thank you, uh, Bishop Nathaniel, for uh, granting me a little time to take care of one of our friends at Bank on Yourself. You take charge of your life, Bank on Yourself is a great way to do it. And it's a perfect segue back into, uh, Bishop, I, I think where we we disagree is I I don't think I'm here in captivity in America. I do believe I have control over my life and agency over my life. I do think that there's no other place on the globe where uh, black people have more freedom, autonomy, autonomy and opportunity and safety than in America. Yes, sir. Uh, and so now listen carefully to what he just said. So he said that he doesn't believe he's in captivity, and he says this place is the greatest place for black people to have 
what is the word term you use? Autonomy. Autonomy. And we just free. All right, brother. You previously said on your show that the way they was doing Kyrie was like buck breaking. And this is a, a entertainer, uh, an athlete. He's at the highest level you can get in, in this society. Facts, higher than the teacher status, doctor, lawyer, president, whatever. Athletes hold a lot of weight because a lot of people watch them. But you said that he was being buck broken. Well, sir, you just said you don't believe that you're in captivity. Okay, but you just made the reference to captivity as it relates to Kyrie. Then you said this is the only place in the world where black men, black people can be free and have autonomy. Mm-hmm. But we're still getting shot and killed in the streets. We're still discriminated against. There are still different strokes for color folks. And what I mean by that is there's different rules for us. Always has been. Always will be as long as we're in this damn demonic place. So that's, that's, that was my first observation. Let me play the rest of it. Uh, there's no other place on the planet where I can go and experience more freedom, opportunity, safety, uh, safety than wow. here in America. And so... Did he really say safety? As a black man, he said he's experienced safety in America. This dude is mentally ill. He needs to really check his mentals. But him even making a statement like that. A black man feels safe in America? What America are you living in, partner? Because this is the same America. I got to sit my boys down and coach them on what to do when they get pulled over by the cops. What to do when a teacher is in their face at school in a, in, a, in, a, in a compromising situation with their white counterpart? This is the, America, the same America you're talking about? You said you feel safe in? This dude is speaking from uh, individual perception, an individual placement in this society of his own. He don't speak for black America as a whole collectively. That makes me, maybe I am captive, maybe I, I, I but I, I don't believe I, I have uh, uh, that, that white people are solely responsible for that. I believe that black and white people and all people here in America uh, contributed to America improving itself and living up to ideals expressed in its constitution and declaration of independence that created more freedom, opportunity, and safety for all people. For all people. Listen to what he's saying, y'all. This brother is, to use the term Kyle Cobb uses, M-I-A. Made. This dude is made in America. He's American-made. I remember that damn movie with Whoopi Goldberg and um, Tom Dancing, Ted Dancing, Made in America. And they had they had a baby together, Neil Long, right? Yeah, she was their child. Whoopi and Tom Dancing laid down and had Made in America. So a white man and a black woman come together and make make a black woman. <laughs> 
And that's exactly what happened here in America. They've made us. They've told us what to think, how to feel, what to do, uh, how to act. You don't, you don't believe me? I got a white woman saying the exact same thing. You got that for me? So I've been telling y'all and, and uh, referencing, this, referencing this book for quite some time. I couldn't find my book, so my wife was so gracious and kind as to purchase me another one. And the title of the book, tell them the title of the book. White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. This is a must read, y'all. Real talk. This is a must read. If you're so-called black, Latino, Native American here in the States or abroad, you got to read this book. This is a white woman from a white woman's perspective, and she's basically telling on herself and her whole race. And man, she spares no punches. She really goes there. So I just want to read an excerpt out of this book. Where we at? Yeah, get that one. I'm, we don't jump around quite a bit. What page you on? Page 25. Read. We might think of whiteness as all the aspects of being white. Now, this is from her perspective. So when she says we, she's talking about the Caucasian race, her, and all her racial uh, peoples, her nation. Read that again. We might think of whiteness as all the aspects of being white, aspects that go beyond mere physical differences and are related to the meaning and resultant material advantage of being defined as white in society. Material advantages as being defined as white. So this is talking about what, y'all? We commonly refer to this as white privilege. (laughs) So this is a white woman saying that white privilege does exist, Mr. Jason Whitlock, when you, you think that you control your own destiny or your own narrative, narrative, when this white woman is telling you you don't because the white people that who you, sh- I don't even say share, who run this country that you're a resident of, they don't look at you as an equal, sir. They don't look at none of us as an equal. So I don't care how much money you get, how much fame or status you get. Muhammad Ali said it best. Still a nigga. Read on. What is granted and how it is granted based on that meaning. Instead of the typical focus on how racism hurts people of color, to examine whiteness is to focus on how racism elevates white people. Racism does what? Elevates white people. They created the narrative of racism. It was them that put another people who they they deemed inferior into slavery and used the Bible, how ironic is that, to justify us being in captivity as slaves. And then after that, they had what? Jim Crowism. The white only signs. Remember all of that? If you ain't familiar with history, you better you better go and research it. You know, our people really have a, a, a problem with history. And this is why a lot of our people turn to religion, because the Bible is a history book. But you get these people that turn it into religion, and our people can't deal with history. Oh, it's boring. I don't like reading. But I could do a religion. I can do a bunch of rituals. That's what the root word of religion is, rituals. 
I can do a bunch of rituals like showing up every Sunday, grinning and playing like I'm this holy Christian person behind closed doors. I'm the the devilish, most evil, wickedest per- person on the damn face of the planet. Get up on your history, y'all. Go ahead in the book, please. Whiteness rests upon a foundational premise. Oh, you jump into another page? What's the same one? Same. Go ahead. The definition of white as the norm or standard for humans and people of color as a deviation from that norm. White is the standard of what? Standard for humans. It's the standard of humanity. There's a section in the book where she talks about being in anatomy class and how the, the diaphragms or diagrams of the, of the mannequins or whatever, they were all white. This is psychological warfare that they waged on the whole world, y'all. And this dude is up here trying to act like the things, the psychological warfare that so-called white people have done to color people is irrelevant. That's offensive, man. I'm trying to calm down, y'all, because this type of rhetoric and nonsense coming from, it really upsets me. Go on in the book. Whiteness is not acknowledged by white people, and the white reference point is assumed to be universal and is imposed on everyone. It's universal. It's your white card. So white privilege goes beyond just the soils of, soils of America. This is global. White people find it very difficult to think about whiteness as a specific state of being that could have an impact on one's life and perception. They don't think about their color. They have no need to because the world is geared to them because they run run and they own it. We're the only people that's got to think about our color. And you say you don't? When you go to work, can you act the the same way you act at home, can you act that way at work? When you go into the store, can you be you? When you go out publicly anywhere, to the bank, to the grocery store, to the to the mall, can you be you? You can't be you. And what I mean by that is this. We always are aware of our skin color. When the police get behind you, you are aware of your skin color. When there's an altercation anywhere around white folks, you're aware of your skin color. When you're at work and maybe you're in customer service and you got to deal with white people, you're aware of your skin color. Don't tell me for a minute if you work with the public and customer service or just dealing with the public, when you encounter a, a so-called a brother or a sister that you don't, your guard ain't down a little bit, that you don't breathe a sigh of relief because, oh, it's one of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, man, I'm glad it's, it's a brother. Oh, I'm glad it's a sister. We are constantly aware of our color. But for somebody to say that it don't matter, it's, 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 it's of no uh, consequence, it's not important, that is not a fact, sir. That's, that's not truthful. That's a real ignorant-ass statement. Let me play a little bit more of this. You got another part of that, right? Than any place else on the planet. And so it, 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 it'll be hard to convince me 
that I'm in captivity here in America, particularly, again, I'm no biblical scholar, but I was like, I know the suffering and captivity that people have experienced uh, in the Bible, and I know what they're experiencing around the world right now today. And, you know, it's great rhetoric, but I I see a lot of people locking themselves in chains. I see myself. Every problem I have, I can point to my actions that led to it. My disobedience to uh, biblical principles and, and what's spelled out in the Bible has created virtually, if not every problem that I have. And so I, I, I can't. Now, the interview, for the most part, I, I liked. I, I enjoyed what uh, Bishop Nathaniel was bringing out. But right here, he should have called him on his BS. He talked about, and I, I will agree with him that we cause a lot of our own problems. It's a curse of Deuteronomy chapter 28. In particular, matter of fact, get it real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 28. Wow. My cousin said he got Esau in, in his truck with him right now, and he's training them. Cause I bet you can't be you. I can't. I bet you can't be yourself. <laughs> are you Are you listening right now to the podcast? <laughs> it's in your ear, though, right? <laughs> oh my goodness, man. Um, what did I tell you to get? Read that. In verse verse twenty eight. The Lord shall smite thee with madness and blindness. It said the Most High was going to smite us with madness. This ain't talking about you're mad, you're angry, you're upset. This is talking about actual craziness, a mental disorder. (laughs) Are you planted in the truck? Go ahead, cuz. Don't lose your job, though. (laughs) Be smart. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Don't lose your job. <laughs> so read it again. I'm sorry. Deuteronomy <laughs> 28 and 28. The Lord shall smite thee with madness. With and- madness. Our people are mentally insane. So a lot of the issues that we deal with and go through, we bring on ourselves, including the family member I was telling y'all about this in, locked up right now. <laughs> we have uh, self-imposed mental illness because, and we're just reading the curses of Deuteronomy chapter 28. When you read verse 15, it tells you that if we do not hearken and and follow the Most High's commandments, all these curses are going to come upon us. This is a condition of us not listening, of us being hard-headed kids. The Most High said, I'm going to make you crazy. And we are crazy. Just just to agree with Jason Jason Woodlock said, yes, we have some self-induced problems that we put on ourselves. But when I said that uh, Bishop should have caught him on this, he said biblical principles. I would have asked him, what biblical principles do you live by? Because that's what we teach. And the bishop had just went over Deuteronomy 28. Those are biblical principles. Now, keep in mind, too, and I brought this out before. When we talk about the Most High's Law, Statutes, and Commandments, did y'all know that there was five sets of laws? Did y'all know that? There's a dietary law. There's a moral law a civil law, a ceremonial law, 
and then there was the the uh the the law of sacrifice which was done away with by through by way of Christ who did away with it because he was the ultimate sacrifice but those laws help us govern our society as a people for example the moral laws deal with what morality who you can sleep with who you can't sleep with um Doing unto others as you do it to you know all the the principles that people be trying to bring out loosely in the world. These are biblical principles. The civil laws deal with how we deal with each other concerning our property. Then you have the ceremonial laws, which are, are basically high holy days. And shop is going over there right now. Holidays. So you're looking for a holiday. You're searching for a holiday. How about the holidays of God? How about that? Then, of course, the dietary law. You wonder why people got sickle cell anemia, all types of cancer, damn, the sugar, diabetes, heart disease, and all this other stuff. All goes back to what you put in your mouth. But the Most High gave us a guideline for all of this to take all the guesswork out of the equation. You ain't got to guess about it. Get, read the instruction manual. But you know how niggas are. We don't like reading instructions. Back to the interview. Sit around and blame the white man for that. I got to look at myself in the mirror and the enemies that I allow to exist within me. He said you can't blame the white man for that. So this is the what I've heard black people say forever. You can't blame the white man for your problem. You can't blame the white man for this. You can't blame him for that. Okay, well, my question is, what can we blame him for then? Since you're the sole authority on blame, what can he be blamed for then? You got some more of that book? I hope you do. <laughs> what can he be blamed for? Can he be blamed for kidnapping us and erasing our heritage and our lineage back to who we are as a people and as a nation? Can he be blamed for that? Is that Okay. Mr. Apologetic, Mr. Uh, what what they call him, Black Redneck, you're a Black Redneck. You talk about biblical principles in the same breath you talk about America. And this, I bet you can't name the books of the Bible. I bet you can't name the 12 disciples. I bet you can't name the Ten Commandments, but I bet you can name all of the Constitution. And all the amendments. I, can, I bet you can tell me my first, second, third, fourth, fifth amendment rights and all of that. This is what I'm talking about, y'all, when I said MIA, made in America. But a lot of us are like this. Play more of this interview. Did you find some more? Any problem I have with that. And any the good things that I've experienced, anything that's going good in my life, I can directly point to, well, I followed God's lead on that. And that's why I'm having success in that area. Now, you know what? This is what I want to do. Give me Romans chapter 7. Because he did mention biblical principles, correct? Mm-hmm. Let me show you all something. So let's get some biblical principles. Out of the New Testament, mind you. Yeah. So Romans chapter 7 and start at verse 7. Romans 7, 7. For what shall we say then? No, I'm sorry. Start at verse 5. Romans 7 and 5. 
But when we were in the flesh. We were in the what? The flesh. Because he was talking about his carnality, right? Mm-hmm. And the decisions that he made based off of his carnality. That's being in the flesh. When we in the flesh, read. The motions of sin. The motions of what? Of sin. Of what? Sin. Now hold this and get First John 3 and 4. Let's get what sin is. All of this is tying together, y'all. See, our people really think they be on some level and think they know what they talk about when they start talking religious. But there's a difference between religion and the Bible. Religion has nothing to do with the Bible. The Bible has nothing to do with religion. So you talk about sin. What is sin? Read this. First John 3 and 4. Whosoever committed sin. Committed what? Sin. The topic is sin. Read. Transgresses also the law. What does it mean to commit a sin? To transgress the law. You breaking the law, God's law that he gave us. You know this in the Old Testament. But we find it in the New. This is John, the Apostle John, telling you what sin is. Let's go back to Romans chapter 7. Go read on. For sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is the breaking of the law, the water for that. Sin is the breaking of the law. So if you're sinning, that means you're breaking God's law. All right, now with that understanding, let's go back to Romans chapter 7. Let's see if Paul said anything different. Verse 5, yep. Romans 7, 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin. The motions of breaking the law. Which were by the law. Which were by the law. What he's saying is you don't know what sin is unless you have the law. (laughs) How can I be sinning if I never was given the law, if I never knew it? How can I be conscious of it? Read. Did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. To bring forth fruit unto what? Death. So what does breaking the law do for you? Death. It kills you. It's a spiritual death as well as a physical death. For example, if the law says not to eat pork, but I eat pork and ate pork all my life and I end up with heart disease, What's the direct result of me breaking that law right there, that very basic dietary law? Death, that heart disease is going to cause me. To give you another example, the the moral law. If I'm told not to sleep with another man's woman because that's adultery and it ain't right, and I do it anyway, and the, the husband busts in on me and the wife doing the do, and he shoots me and kills her, why did I die? Because I was breaking the law of what? Adultery. And it led to me dying. This is what Paul is saying, y'all. Number the verse 7. Romans 7 and 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is the law what? Sin. Is the law sin? Is the law bad? Is it a bad thing to keep the law? Read. God forbid. He said no. Read. Nay. I had not known sin, but by the law. How do we know that we're sinning? By the law. By the law, because the law told us tells us what you can and can't do. This is how we know we're sinning. This is how we know we're sinners. Read. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. That's one of the Ten Commandments. But you got these people running around talking about, well, Paul said the law was done away with. Christ did away with the law. Paul is telling y'all right here, the law is still in full effect. 
New Testament, mind you, y'all, he says, I had not known lust except the law has said, thou shalt not covet. Read. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. He says sin. What he's basically saying is, you know how we are. We hate being told what to do. So once we get something that's telling us what to do, our inclination is automatically to go against it. That's why he says, but sin taken occasion by the commandment. So why did he sin? Because he was told he couldn't do something. <laughs> the same way we be. This is why when we bring the commandments to our people now, the first thing niggas say is, I ain't going to let no book tell me what to do. He said, but sin taken occasion by the commandment, read. Brought in me all manner of concupiscence. It brought about all manner of concupiscence and strong, lustful desires. You tell me something I can't do, and you know what? Guess what happened? I want to do it now because you told me I couldn't do it. Oh, the stove is hot. Ooh, I want to touch it now. Read. For without the law, sin was dead. He said, when I have no law, then sin didn't exist to me because I didn't have the law. Read. For I was alive without the law once. He was alive. He was living it up, living his life, doing what he wanted to do when he didn't have the law. Read. But when the commandment came. But when the commandment, when it was shown to me I had to keep the commandment, read. Sin revived. Sin showed up. I'm like, oh, man, I've been sinning the whole time. I didn't know I was sinning. I didn't know that these were the laws of God. Read. And I died. And what did he say? I died. Which part of him he was talking about died? His carnality. His flesh. This is what Mr. Jason Whitlock is talking about. He's using Bible principles. Like I said, I would have asked him what principles. Is you, are you saying that you're keeping the commandments, sir? <laughs> are you saying that and this is what made your life better? I mean, if it is, I, I would love for you to share it with us. Read on. And the commandment which was ordained to life. The commandment was given or ordered for us to live by. Read. I found to be unto death. I found it to be to me die a death. It's a death sentence. I can't do this. This is too hard. <laughs> Ain't this what niggas be saying when we bring them the commandments? Man, it's too hard. Nobody can keep those laws. The Jews couldn't even keep them. That's what they're out here all the time. The Jews couldn't even keep those. It's too hard. <laughs> This is killing me. You're covering my style. Now, jump down to verse uh, 15. Verse 15. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let's get straight to the point. Verse 14. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. The law is what? Spiritual. The law is spiritual. You talk about being spiritual or have a spirituality. Keep the law. The law is spiritual. Read. But I am carnal. But it says what? But I am carnal. But when we move in our natural brute instincts to do whatever, then we become carnal. Read. Sold under sin. Sold and bought under sin. Now jump to verse 18. For I know that in me. Now this is the understanding that he's given from verse 15. When he says that the law, or verse 14, when he says that the law is uh, spiritual but he's carnal. Now watch this. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, in the flesh, read, dwelleth no good thing. Nothing is good about your flesh. Read. 
for to will is present with me. So I, to will is present with me, meaning I want to do the right thing. I really do. Read. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. But I, I don't know how to do the right thing. Read. For the good that I would, I do not. The good I want to do, I don't do it. Read. But the evil which I would not, that I do. But the evil that I don't want to do, that's in my flesh, that's in my carnality, that's what I end up doing all the time, man. Now, if I do that, I would not. If I do the stuff I don't want to do, read. It is no more I that do it. It ain't me. <laughs> this will be, will be saying, the devil made me do it. <laughs> he says, it is no more I that do it, read. But, but sin. sin that dwelleth in me. But the sin that dwells in me. Guess what? You're the devil. <laughs> we all have a devil inside of us. This is what Paul is saying. Now watch this, verse 21. I find then a law. I find a law. We need an instruction manual. Read. That when I would do good. That when I do do good. Evil is present with me. Evil is present with me. That's why when we talk about keep the law. Uphold the law, God's, God's commandments. We have evil people come against us and say, you ain't got to keep the law. The law is done away with. The law is dead. That's the evil. Now, let's get Galatians chapter 5. We're going to stay in the New Testament and deal with this law thing, these principles of God. Uh, start at verse 17. Now, watch this, y'all. Galatians 5 and 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. Paul said the same thing in Romans. Read. And the spirit against the flesh. Uh-huh. And these are contrary the one to the other. Contrary means they're different. They're against each other. Read. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So you can't do the stuff you want to do because your flesh is weighing on you. Now, watch this. Read. But if ye be led of the Spirit. But if you be in the Spirit, and remember he says that the law is spiritual, right? So if you be led of the law, read. Ye are not under the law. <laughs> and you ain't got to worry about the law. Why? Because you're led by it anyway. So you ain't got to be constantly reminding yourself, uh, I shouldn't eat pork. I don't eat pork. I got to say that to myself every day. No, I don't have to say it to myself because why? I'm walking in the Spirit, which tells me what? I don't have to eat pork. So I ain't got to keep telling myself this. I ain't got to keep telling myself, don't commit adultery. I already know this. This is what he's talking about. He's not saying that you ain't got to keep the law. He's just saying you ain't got to keep reiterating this to yourself because you already know it. But how many of us grew up knowing this? Because the churches don't teach this. The church that Mr. Whitlock attended didn't teach this. Read. But you let uh, verse nineteen. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. The works of what? The flesh are manifest. He said. Now listen to what he's saying. Now if he's saying that you don't have to keep the law, then why would he come back and say this right here? Read. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. The works of the flesh are manifest. Watch this. Read. Which are these? Which are these? Listen to what he says. Are the works of the flesh? Read. Adultery. What? Adultery. Is there a law against adultery? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you damn right it is. It's part of the first ten. So how could he say that it's done away with? Then he comes back and say, hey, these are the works of the flesh. 
Read. Fornication. Is there a law against fornication? Yes. There's several chapters on it. Leviticus chapter 18, 19, and 20. Dealing with the moral law. That's in the Bible. Old Testament. He's reiterating it here in the New. Read. Uncleanness. What? Uncleanness. Leviticus 13, 14, and 15 deals with uncleanness. You know, a woman being on an issue, she's supposed to wait seven days until she's pronounced clean. Now you can go back and deal with your wife that way. You know, those laws. The the law of a woman giving birth to a baby and her being unclean depending on the sex of the baby. If it's a boy, I believe it's like 60 days, and for a girl it's like 90 days. So you can't wait just a week to jump her bones again, fellas. You got to wait until she heals up and she cleans up, and she is pronounced unclean or clean again. Read. Lasciviousness. Lasciviousness, strong lustful desire. That's back to the moral law. Right there. Read. Idolatry. Idolatry, which is in the first Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Remember that one? Read. Witchcraft. That's dealing again, once again, with the moral law. And the idolatry law, because that's what witchcraft is. Read. Hatred. Hatred. Dealing with what, once again, the moral law. Don't hate your brother. Love your neighbors. You love yourself. Read. Variance. Read. Emulation. Read. Wrath. Read. Strife. Read. Sedition. Read. Heresy. Read. Envying. Read. Murder. Thou shalt not kill. Remember that one? Read. Drunkenness. Read. Reveling. Read on. And such like. And so, so all these things are contained in the law in the Old Testament. These are biblical principles, Mr. Jason Whitlock. And this is what we're trying to teach to our people because I ain't played that the rest of the interview, but at the beginning of the interview, he was talking about uh, race idolatry, trying to come off like we were only uh, glorifying our race, and this is what got black and brown people to identify with being Hebrew Israelites. Sir, the only reason we bring out what we loosely refer to as color scriptures is to, I, to get our people to identify with something black, which is the Bible. This is why our people, and you said it in your interview, why people would identify with being a Muslim, which is the Arab's religion. Our people identify with being a Muslim because why? Because of the nation of Islam, and it was a black thing to do. This is why our people are comedic or into Egyptology because it's blackness, because we've been told and programmed that black people have no part in society or history books and we're nothing as a people. So we use these so-called color scriptures to, to get our people to identify that they are worth something. The hell, they're the chosen people of God. The highest of the highest, the highest order, pecking order you can get. The highest you can get in the pecking order as, as it relates to the world and people. So we use that to get our people to identify that they are some, something and somebody. They're God's chosen people. Because our people be looking for stuff black, and everything thinking is black except for the Bible. Because our people said the, the Bible is the white man's book. But who, who was we taught that by? The white standard of humanity, which Beverly D'Angelo, or Robin D'Angelo just brought out in the book. We've been programmed to believe this. So we have to get our people to see themselves other than what they were told that they are. 
Mr. Whitlock. That's why we use those color scriptures. Then after that, we take them to Deuteronomy 28 to show them this is the reason you're living in the conditions you're living in. Now, after we've done that, we can start dealing with the inner man, our people's illnesses and sicknesses. But we have to get them to identify first that this book is talking about you. Otherwise, the principles of the Bible are relevant. You got Beverly D'Angelo's? Matter of fact, finish reading this right here in Galatians. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So those that do what what things that break the law, because everything he just named was in the law. He said, every, if you're doing these such things, you're not going to get to the kingdom. If you're breaking the law, you're not getting to the kingdom, homie. I hope we, I hope we understand this. Now go to the book. Read this. Fight Fragility, page 21. The system of racism begins with ideology. It begins with what? Ideology. The system of racism begins with ideology. What is that? He talked about we, we preach racial idolatry. No, we don't. White folks do. This woman is this white woman is letting you know that. Read this again, please. The system of racism begins with ideology, which refers to the big ideas that are reinforced throughout society. It's reinforced throughout society. We're constantly we're constantly told or put in order as to who we are as a people, as a nation. Constantly. You're constantly aware that you're a nigger. You're constantly aware that you're a spit. You're an engine, engine. We're constantly made made that's being known made known to us. Constantly. This is what she's talking about. We know. From birth, we are conditioned into accepting and not questioning these ideas. Ideology is reinforced across society, for example, in schools and textbooks. Is is what? Reinforced it's across reinforced society. Reinforced across society. The first place they get us is where? At a young age, in school. When you go to school and you start learning, even in let me let me let me say this right, cuz so I get mocked for my <laughs> Saint Louis accent. Kindergarten. <laughs> you know, we call it kindergarten, y'all. Kindergarten. They be mocking me all the time for this. In kindergarten, when you're given those little uh, pictures, worksheets to bring home. Who's depicted in the in the pictures? It's them. It's white people. That's like psychological warfare from a young age. They know what they're doing, man. Read on. In schools and textbooks, political speeches, movies, advertising, mm-hmm. holiday celebrations, and words and phrases. These ideas are also reinforced through social penalties when someone questions. Whoa, 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 whoa. They have social penalties when what? When someone questions an ideology. When somebody questions white ideology, white supremacy, it's rules, just like they're doing to Kyrie. Nigga, you can't say that. 
He didn't even say nothing. He just posted a video. What are they doing to Kanye? Nigga, you can't say that. There's penalty for breaking the loose, but the rules, but Jason Whitlock want to act like everything is fair across the board. Nigga, stop. Read. And through the limited availability of alternative ideas. <laughs> Ideologies are the framework through which we are taught to represent, interpret, understand, and make sense of social existence. Y'all see this, man? This is psychological warfare at its finest. And I believe the chapter of the book you're reading is called White Supremacy. Is it or is it not? Racism and white supremacy. Racism and white A white woman wrote this. Anyway, I'm losing time. I got three minutes. Let's get Romans chapter 11, verse 7. I had other things I want to get to. I, ain't, I only have time to get to it. I told you I had a lot to unpack, man. I probably should have just did all news. <laughs> Romans 11, 7? Yes. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. Now, listen to this, y'all. It says, what then? Israel hath not obtained what he seeketh for. Our people been seeking. When it talks about Israel, we're talking about black Brown, Hispanic people, man, Native Americans, our people have been searching for something that they fit into, searching and searching. No different than I was searching before I came into the truth. I was into pan-Africanism. I was into conspiracy, uh, conspiracy theories and all of that, searching. And then I finally found the truth, man. This is what it's talking about. Read that part again. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. Read. But the election. But the who? The election. But the elect, the people that were chosen to get it, read. Hath obtained it. We have got it. We found it, man. Which means praise the most high, praise Christ, man. Bless them. Bless, bless the most high, bless, bless Christ. And the water, Yahweh, the water, Yahweh, which means thank you, Heavenly Father, and thank you, Christ for opening my eyes and to where I was fortunate enough to get this truth and to see it. Because all ain't going to get it, y'all. Get Isaiah chapter 20 and verse 10. There's more read on. And the rest were blinded. And the rest of Israel was what? Blinded. Jason Whitlock is what? Blinded. Blinded. The rest of Israel's blinded, man. Some of us don't get it, and some of us ain't. You can show uh, Christ, the color of Christ, to people and some some of us will see it, they'll get it, they'll understand it, they'll roll with it. But a lot of us say, okay, what does that matter? Or what does that have to do with anything? Or color don't matter. Oh, so I guess color didn't matter when they was putting up the false image of Christ, Caesar Bogier. That didn't matter either, which which taught you to hate yourself. What now? No, I did not. Let's get Isaiah twenty and ten. I got like a minute, y'all, before I dabble back into my topic. I definitely want to get to them, man. I ain't done with them. I'm not done. It ain't over. What? Because uh, IUIC, they say they're going to ride this wave. I'm going to ride it, too. I'm going to ride it with y'all. I'm on the surfboard with y'all. Surf. <laughs> I'm riding this wave, too. Isaiah 20 and 10. Isaiah? Wait a minute, y'all.
29 and 10. I'm sorry. Isaiah 29 and 10. Mm -hmm. For the Lord has poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. The most hard and poured upon some of us the spirit of what? Deep sleep. We A lot of people sleep, man. They ain't going to get this. You know, they're unconscious. They ain't woke. <laughs> Read. And have closed your eyes. And the most high did what? Right. The most high closed their eyes. They also don't get discouraged. Don't get frustrated when you try to drop the truth on somebody and they just ain't seeing it. You got to understand that this is from the Lord. Read. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered. Read. And the vision of all. So when it says the prophets and the rulers, the seers, this is your, your church pastors, your leaders, they aren't seeing it. It wouldn't give it to them to see. Read. And the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed. The words of a book that is sealed, that's the Bible. This is why they don't get it. They don't understand it. They can't comprehend it or break it down. Read. Which men deliver to one that is learned. They deliver to men that are learned. Let me ask my pastor. Let me ask my reverend. Let me ask priest. Read. Saying, read this, I pray thee. Hey, read this. Tell me what the scripture means, pastor. Read. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. Man, I don't know. I don't understand it. <laughs> I wish they would say that. They really just be lying to you, telling you what they think it means, because they're too embarrassed to tell you that they don't know. Read. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, read this, I pray <laughs> thee. Delivered to him that ain't learned. What did Jason Woodlock say? He's not a Bible scholar, but you're talking about Bible principles. Come on, that's, that's a contradictory, homie. Some ain't add enough. Read. And he saith, I am not learned. <laughs> I don't know. I ain't learned in that way. Read. Wherefore the Lord saith, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth. Oh, I love God. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a God-fearing so-and-so, so-and-so. Read. And with their lips do honor me. Read. But have removed their heart far from me. The heart is talking about the mind. Your mind is far removed from the Most High. This is why you won't keep none of his commandments. Read. And their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. And you only fear the Most High because of what you was told by men to fear the Most High on. You only go by what religion says. So if religion say Sunday is the Sabbath or the day God should be worshipable, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. If religion tells you that, hey, it's, it's one man, one woman, I'm going to go with that. These are the precepts of men. If men tell you Jesus is the reason for the season, we know that's a damn lie. I'm going to roll with that. If they tell you that there's a separation of church and state, but your church is asking you to give support to the Democratic Party, how is there a damn separation between church and state? They got American flags flying in the damn church. How is there a separation of church and state? Those are the precepts of men. 2 Corinthians 4 and 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But if our gospel be his. But if the good news, this is what the word gospel means. If the good news that Christ only died for one nation is coming and is coming back to deliver that one nation, if that is hid, read. It is hid to them that are lost. These people are lost. Read. 
in whom the God of this world has... Now, now, wait a minute. Why are they lost? Three? In whom the God of this world has blinded the mind... Because they're blinded by the God of this world, which is what? Individualism, money, power, fame, esteem. That's what the so-called white man has taught us as a people. These are the things that we chase. So when you bring our people the Bible, this is why they won't accept it. Because it doesn't deal with them individually in their come up. The Bible is a book about one nation that was delivered into captivity and is going to be saved collectively as a nation, as a people, out of captivity. There is no room in the Bible for individualism. This is why people won't mess with it. Is that it? But if our gospel be his, it is his to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. They don't believe because the world has more to offer them than the Bible. Is that it? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. This is why the light of Christ ain't going to shine. This little light of mine, <laughs> it ain't going to shine in them. All right, y'all. So I'm transitioning over, transitioning over, y'all. I know that's a lot, covered a lot. Um, I hope I didn't lose nobody with that. I had another interview I wanted to play out, man. I just don't have time. So I wanted to deal with this Edomite vocab Malone and his, his damn rhetoric. I also wanted to touch on the Jerry Jones and LeBron thing. I don't have time, y'all. I'm sorry. I got to get this class in. So, y'all, I'm switching over to class now. Um, and the class is entitled Never Wax Tail. This is part six. I'm still dealing with the people that, uh, the falsified people that call themselves Jews or Israelites, and I'm not. So um, let me clear some stuff up. So let's do a small recap. Let's get um, get who is Esau, who is Edom. Mm-hmm. And I need you to go back to page um, nine, I think it was, the uh, Sephardic Jews. Now, last week we covered this, and I went into uh, J.A. Rogers' book, uh, Nation Knows No Color Line, to show that the Israelites, once they were banished uh, out of Spain in 1492, ended up in Spain and Poland and uh, all throughout the uh, Caribbean and all of that. But I want us to understand that these uh, falsified people who call themselves Jews, they also ended up in these same places. They also ended up in these same places. And as we've discussed already, they were already familiar with uh, what they call Judaism. They were already familiar with our law, statutes, and commandments and the way we did things. So quite naturally, they adopted to it, gravitated to it, and they became engulfed into our society, so to speak. So read this again. Who is Esau, Edom? Page 9. During Titus the siege of Jerusalem, 66 to 70 A.D., 20,000 Idumeans appeared before Jerusalem to fight in behalf of the zealots who were besieged in the temple. You see this? So 20,000 of these Edomites showed up to fight alongside of us. Now, remember, and you can go back and check the, the earlier shows, 
they were already fully aware of our customs and our ways and had adopted their lives to live the way that we lived. All right, and that's under Herod. And then his whole lineage. And then those other Edomites as well. Read on. About 97,000 inhabitants of Judea were taken captive. And an unknown now, number. When it talks about the, the 97,000 captives that was taken in Judea, it's talking about us. It's talking about the real Jews. And then uh, coupled that with uh, Rudolph R. Windsor's book, Babylon 10, book 2, page 84, where he said one million of us fled into Africa. Y'all remember that. I hope y'all do. Go back and check the show. Read on. And an unknown number had fled either before or during the siege. Mm -hmm. This is the last mention of the Edomites as a people in history. Mm -hmm. Yet Bible prophecy indicates that Edom would be an enemy enemy of Israel in latter times. All right. Now jump to the the origin of the Jews, right? That's the part I want. Mm -hmm. Yep. The Jews of today fall within two main types. So he said there's two main types, and when he says Jews, he's talking about Jewish people. Read. The Sephardic Jew and the Ashkenazi Jew. Because this is what they will tell you, the Jewish people. They're Sephardic, meaning that they're, from, they're uh, part of they're the Spanish Jews or the Ashkenazi Jews, which are the Germans. Now, we read in uh, J.E. Rogers' book that those Sephardic, so-called Sephardic Jews were black people. And we also read in the same book that those Ashkenazi Jews were also black people. So in this book, who is Esau, who is Edom, it's talking about those imposters that were at the, in those same places we were at that took on our identity in those places, y'all. So I wanted to clear that up. Read on. The Sephardim are also known as Spanish Jews mm -hmm. and constitute about 5% of the Jews in the world. The Ashkenazim are the East European Jews, which were found in Poland, Russia, Germany, and Western Asia. So see, so it was in all the same regions that, matter of fact, let me get it real quick. Hold, hold where you at, because we're going to go back and forth. I don't want to read all of this. Here we go, right here. So this is um, Nature Knows No Color Line, y'all. Jay Rogers, page 130. Read right there. It says Eastern Jews. Okay. The Eastern Jews who settled in Austria, Poland, and Russia were Negroids, too. They were what? Negroids. Now, read what you just read out of Esau, Eden. About the, the Sephardics. Okay. The Sephardim are also known as Spanish Jews and constitute about 5% of the Jews in the world. The Ashkenazim are the East European Jews, which are found in Poland, Russia, Germany, and Western Asia. Now, we just read that, right? So it's letting you know there's a distinction, y'all. So these people that are talked about, talked about and who's Esau and who's Edom, those are the converts, the Jew, the Jewish people. But what we're reading out of J.A. Rogers' book is talking about the real Jews, the real Israelites. Yes. This group of Jews makes up 90% of the so-called Jews in the world. The so-called Jews, all right? Thank you for getting that. 
Now, read uh, Jay Rogers' report again. The Eastern Jews who settled in Austria, Poland, and Russia were Negroids, too. Count Adam Kowalski of Poland, who visited the United States in 1857, said the Jews of his country strongly resembled American mulattoes. So we got this last week. I wanted just to clear that up, y'all, so y'all wouldn't be confused. Now let's get Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 64. Because remember, uh, matter of fact, before we get Deuteronomy, let's go ahead and get to page 84 of this book here. Just a small recap, y'all. And you can read this kind of quick because I want to get the other stuff. 84 to highlight. From Babylon to Timbuktu, page 84. In the year 65 BC, the Roman armies under General Pompey captured Jerusalem. In 70 AD, General Vespasian and his son Titus put an end to the Jewish state. So this is what we read too in the Who is Esau, Who is Edom, page 9, the top part of it. Slaughter. Mm -hmm. During the period of the military governors of Palestine, many outrages and Outrages and atrocities were committed against the residue of the people. During the period from Pompeii to Julius, it has been estimated that over one million Jews fled into Africa. Fled where? Fled into Africa. So we did run down into the interiors of Africa, but we didn't stay there, y'all. We migrated. All right? Read. Fleeing Roman persecution and slavery. Uh Uh-huh. The slave markets were full of black Jewish slaves. See this? And I brought this out to show the fall of Jerusalem, which was the, the, the I guess you could say the exodus, the, the forced exodus out of our land, homeland. And this is where we end up. We were exiled and we were scattered all throughout all nations, including Africa. Read on. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all that's, people. That's it right there. So this is the scripture that he he lists in this book, in the scripture we've been going to before we went to the book, Deuteronomy 28, verse 54. Read it. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people from the one end of the earth even unto the other. So the Israelites are not concentrated in just the one region of the globe, y'all. We've been scattered. From where? From one end of the earth even unto the other. Even unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods, mm-hmm. which that which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. Now give me Psalms 44 and 11. So there are Israelites all over the globe, y'all. Now keep in mind, we were scattered to a lot of these places that the Jewish people ended up, and they gravitated to us. And continue to learn our law, statutes, and our customs. Read Psalm forty-four, eleven. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat, and hast scattered us among the heathen. Now this is David saying, "Hey, you've given us like sheep to the prey, and you scattered us amongst the heathen." The word heathen means nations or Gentiles. We were scattered throughout all nations. This, these are historical facts. Now be Psalm sixty and one. O God, thou hast cast us off, thou hast scattered us, thou hast been displeased. O turn thyself to us again. So why were we scattered? Because we broke the Most High's commandments. That's why he said, uh, 
God were displeased. We displeased the Most High. This is why we were scattered through all, all nations. Now let's go back to the book Esau. Who is Esau? Who is Edom? Uh, page nine. And where were you at in page nine? The last mention of the Edomites. Okay, go ahead oh, and no, get that. No, no, you were right there. Yes. Uh, many reference and historical sources have unequivocally identified the bulk of the Ashkenazi Jews were derived from a people known as Khazars. People known as who? Khazars. Now, go ahead and finish reading that. The original Jewish Encyclopedia of 1905 revealed that the main stock of the Jews came from this Asiatic people known as Khazars or Khazars. Wait, 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 wait. Give me just a second, y'all. Come on, man. I'm sorry, y'all. Hold on. All right, here we go. You read the rest of us about the case, boss? Yeah. All right, read this right here. We're going to read a lot of this. So this is from the Britannica, Britannica, y'all. From Britannica.com, Khazar, member of a confederation of Turkic-speaking tribes that in the late 6th century CE established a major commercial empire covering the southeastern section of modern European Russia. Although the origin of the term Khazar and the early history of the Khazar people are obscure, it is fairly certain. Now, he says it's obscure, meaning there's not a lot of not a lot of information written about them. But that is the contrary. Now, uh, read that again, which is read Esau, who's Esau, who's Edom, about the Khazars. Let me see real quick. Yep, many reference right there. Many reference and historical sources have have unequivocally identified that the bulk of the Ashkenazi Jews... The bulk of the Ashkenazi Jews, the people that call themselves Jews, read... Were derived from a people known as Khazars. The Khazars. This is where these people came from. This is their origin. So those people running around calling themselves Jews are not Jews, but actually what's referred to as Khazars. Is that it? The original Jewish Encyclopedia of 1905 revealed that the main stock of the Jews came from this Asiatic people known as Khazars, a people of Turkish origin whose life and history are interwoven with the very beginnings of the history of the Jews of Russia. Y'all get that? And it says this is out of the Jewish Encyclopedia. This is why I like this book because he names his sources. He also has those sources listed at the bottom of the page. Now let's go back over here to the Britannica. Uh, and pick up where you left off at. 
It is fairly certain that the Khazars were originally located in the Northern Caucasus region. They came from where? The Northern Caucasus region. Listen closely, y'all. They came from the Caucasus region. This is where we get the term Caucasian. This is their origin. This is why they refer to themselves as Caucasians, whether they are German Caucasian, Australian Caucasian, French Caucasian, Italian Caucasian, or American Caucasian. This is their origin. And the word Caucasian means cave dweller. This is where they came from. They came from the caves in Euroasia. Hope y'all listening. I'm not making this up. These are facts. Read. And were part of the Western Turkic Empire in Turkestan. The Khazars were in contact with the Persians in the mid-6th century CE, and they aided the Byzantine emperor Heraclius, reigned 610 to 641 in his campaign against the Persians. Now, when it talks about the Byzantine Empire, the word Byzantine or Byzantine means backwards or contrary. And this is also known as the Dark Ages. Some might refer to it as the Middle Ages. They call it the Dark Ages. This is what Esau, the so-called white man, says, is because there was no history of that time. That's why it's dark. Or they might say, oh, it was a lot of killing going on. That's why it's dark. That's a damn lie. The reason it's referred to as the Dark Ages is because you had dark people, people of color in power. The same reason it's referred to as the Byzantine era because the word Byzantine, once again, means contrary and remember, this is after the fall of the Roman Empire. Then you had the rise of the Eastern Roman Empire, also referred to as the Holy Roman Empire. That was us. That was black folks. So the word Byzantine, once again, means contrary, because instead of white people in power, you had black people in power. It was contrary, right? So this is what it's talking about. These Khazars. They were in league with us, which is not uncommon because we already discussed how they were trained at our schools. I want us to understand this. This is important. Read on. By the beginning of the 7th century, the Khazars had become independent of the Turkic Empire to the east. But by the middle of that century, the expanding empire of the Arabs had penetrated as far northward as the northern Caucasus. And from then on until the mid-8th century, the Khazars engaged in a series of wars with the Arab Empire. So the Arabs were at war with the Arabs. I'm sorry, the Arabs were in war, in war with the uh, Khazars. And it doesn't go into this, and this is a crash course history, y'all. The Byzantine Empire was also at war with the Arabs. Real. The Arabs initially forced the Khazars to abandon Der- Derbent, 661. But around 685, the Khazars counterattacked, penetrating southward of the Caucasus into present-day Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan. The Khazars and Arabs fought each other directly in Armenia in the 720s, and though victory passed repeatedly from one side to the other, counterattacks eventually compelled the Khazars to permanently withdraw north of the Caucasus. The Khazars' initial victories were important 
though since they had the effect of permanently blocking Arab expansion northward into Eastern Europe, having been compelled. So it was a strategic location. The Khazars blocked the Arabs from taking over Eastern Europe. Read. Having been compelled to shift the center of their empire northward, the Khazars, after 737, established their capital at Idil, located near the mouth of the Volga River. Volga River. Remember that word, Volga. And accepted the Caucasus Mountains as their southern boundary. Now, hold on. We ain't going to read all of this. Let's jump down a little bit. Mm-mm. Here we go, right here. Uh, we just read trade and the collections. Trade and the collection of tribute were major sources of income. That's what the Khazars. That's what their major sources of income were. Read textual. Textual witnesses dating from the 9th and 10th centuries claim the Khazars adopted Judaism. They claim what? The Khazars adopted Judaism. They claim that they adopted Judaism. Now, this is the, the author's effort to throw us off the facts, to throw us off the truth. That's why he said they claim. Read. In the 8th century. These texts are not without problems, however, and lack of archaeological or other physical evidence indicating a mass conversion has been called both the extent and historicity of this conversion into doubt. So he's saying that they didn't convert. (laughs) He's saying that all the information about the Khazars uh, converting to Judaism is doubtful. This is what he's saying. Now, let's go to back to Esau Edom, page 10 now. Now, this is his account. He says it's doubtful. (laughs) But notice he acknowledged it. Yes, Yes, ma'am. Who is Esau Edom, page 10? The Khazars were a nomadic people who had no traces of Hebraic culture. They had no traces of what? Hebraic culture. No traces of Hebraic, Hebraic culture. Read. They had been following a pagan and sex-oriented religion until they had officially embraced Judaism in they, 740 A.D. They officially did what? Officially embraced Judaism in 740 A.D. They embraced Judaism. So Cyclopedia Britannica is lying. They did embrace it. But I got other sources. Read on. While rejecting Christianity and Mohammedism. The Jewish author and historian Arthur Kessler also concludes that the majority of East European Jews and hence of world Jewry. So this is another dude, Arthur Kessler. Kessler. Uh, Kessler. And we're definitely going to go there. Read. Also concludes that the majority of Eastern European Jews and hence of world Jewry is of Khazar and not of Semitic origin. He said that they're Khazars. They ain't Jews, y'all. He said that they're not Semitic. They actually are Semitic by way of Shem, who was the forefather of the Edomite's father, Isaac. 
So they are Semitic, but they're not Jews. They're not Israelites. Read on. In the beginning of his book, he states, the large majority of surviving Jews in the world is of Eastern European and thus perhaps mainly of Khazar origin. He said they are what origin? Mainly of Khazar origin. Khazar origin. Read. If so, this would mean that their ancestors came not from the Jordan, mm-hmm. but from the Volga, not from Canaan, but from the Caucasus, and that genetically they are more closely related to the Hun. Attila the Hun, read. Ugor and Mag- Magyar tribes then to the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They ain't related to the seeds. Well, they are related to the seed of Abraham, Isaac, but not Jacob. Well, actually, yeah, Jacob too, but they ain't Israelites, y'all. They're not Israelites. They're not Jews. And I covered this genealogy in previous classes of this uh, topic. See, I'll go back and listen. Was that it? No. Uh, So let's go to Arthur. Tesla's book, and we're going to read page 16, Um, and let's read the quote that old boy just read. Make sure I'm at the right page, y'all. Yeah, here we go. Page 15. From the 13th Tribe by Arthur Kessler. Page 15. Our investigations cannot go into problems pertaining to the history of ideas, but we must call the reader's attention to the matter of the Khazar Kingdom's state religion. It was the state religion of the Khazars. It was the Jewish faith which became the original, the official religion of the ruling strata of society. Needless to say, the acceptance of the Jewish faith as the state religion of an ethnically non-Jewish people. Uh, ethnically what? Non-Jewish people. They ain't the Jews. I hope y'all are seeing this. They are not the Jews. Ain't the Jews. Read. Could be the subject of interesting speculation. We shall, however, confine ourselves to the remark that this official conversion in defiance of Christian proselytizing by Byzantium, the, the Muslim influence from the East, and in spite of the political pressure of these two powers to a religion which had no support from any political power, but was persecuted by nearly all, has come to a surprise to all historians concerned with the Khazars and cannot be considered as accidental, but must be regarded as a sign of the independent policy pursued by that kingdom. The independent policy pursued by that kingdom was Judaism, was to steal people's identity, man. And we read, we read the same thing out of the Encyclopedia Britannica about 
the wars between them and the Arabs and Christianity and all of that, which shows you that this his, this history is on point. The only difference is the uh, Britannica is lying about them converting. We don't. Which leaves us only slightly more bewildered than before. Yet whereas the sources differ in minor detail, the major facts are beyond dispute. The, he said the major facts are beyond dispute. Read. What is in dispute is the fate of the Jewish Khazars after the destruction of their empire in the 12th or 13th century. On this problem, the sources are scant. The various late medieval Khazar settlements are mentioned in the Crimea and in the Ukraine and in Hungary. And they still there, y'all. Crimea, Ukraine, Hungary. This is where the Jewish people come from. What he's saying is after the destruction of their kingdom, there's not a lot of evidence of what happened to them. Read. Poland and Lithuania. The general picture that emerges from these fragmentary pieces of information is of a migration of Khazar tribes and communities into those regions of Eastern Europe, mainly Russia and Poland. You see, and this is where the bulk of them come from. We just read it in the other book. Who is Esau? Who is Edom? Poland, Russia, this is where they come from. Read. Where at the dawn of the modern age, the greatest concentrations of Jews were found. This has led several historians to conjecture that a substantial part and perhaps the majority of Eastern Jews and hence of world Jewry might be of Khazar and not of Semitic origin. They from the Khazars, y'all. Jump down to the other highlights. How important in quantitative terms is that presence of Caucasian sons of Japheth? Not that page. Jump to page uh, 16. Are you on 16? Mm -hmm. Oh, it is this. Go ahead. Read. Uh, In the tenth of Shem, one of the most radical propounders of the hypothesis concerning the Khazar origins of Jewry, is the professor of medieval Jewish history at Tel Aviv University, A.N. Poliak. His book, Kazaria in Hebrew, was published in 1944 in Tel Aviv and a second edition in 1951. In his introduction, he writes that the facts demand a new approach both to the problem of the relations between the Khazar Jewry and other Jewish communities and to the question of how far we can go in regarding this, Khazar, Jewry, as the nucleus of the large Jewish settlement in Eastern Europe, the descendants of this settlement, those who stayed where they were, those who immigrated to the United States and to other countries, and those who went to Israel, constitute now the large majority of world Jewry. And he let you know that they Khazar, man. Real. This was written before the full extent of the Holocaust was known, but that does not alter the fact. He said this was written before the Holocaust, before World War II. Read. This does not alter, that does not alter the fact that the large majority of surviving Jews in the world is of Eastern European and thus perhaps mainly of Khazar origin. If so, this would mean that their ancestors came not from the Jordan, but from the Volga, not from Canaan, but from the Caucasus, once believed to be the cradle of 
the Aryan race, and that genetically they are more closely related to Hun, Igor, and Magyar tribes than to the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Y'all hear that, man? It's the same thing we just read out of who is Esau and who is Edom. Matter of fact, he listed it as a source. Mm-hmm. Now let's go back to who is Esau who is Edom, page 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead and read it. Should this turn out to be the case, then the term anti-Semitism would be void of meaning based on a misapprehension shared by both the killers and their victims. The story of the Khazar Empire as it slowly slowly emerges from the past begins to look like the most cruel hoax. The most cruel what? Hoax. So for them to say that they're the real Jews is a what? Cruel hoax. Is a cruel hoax. Why? Because you stole somebody's identity. And that matters. Read. Which history has ever perpetrated. Damn. Wow. And and that's why we always say, man, this Knowing that, that you, you're the true Jews of the Bible is, is the world's uh, most best-kept secret, man. Esau, who is Esau, who is Edom, page uh, 11. Yeah, page 11. Who is Esau, Edom, page 11. The best historical evidence, therefore, shows that the Jews are not descended directly from the Israelites of the Bible. They're not descended from the Israelites of the Bible, read. But derive much of their ancestry from the Khazars. From the who? The Khazars. The Khazars, read. And other people of Turkish Asiatic blood. The Khazars are also of Edomite Stock. Yeah, boy. Esau. Read. And both stocks make up the present-day Jews, as the historian H.G. Wells states. The Idumeans, Edomites, were made Jews, and a Turkish people, Khazars, were mainly Jews in South Russia. They were made Jews. Read on. The main part of Jewry never was in Judea and had never come out of Judea. According to the Jewish Encyclopedia, the original stock of the Khazars came from the land of Edom. From the land of where? Edom. It came from Edom, y'all. Now, what page was that? The conclusion of of 11. Keep reading. On to 12. 12? Yeah, keep reading. Yep. Hasdai Ibn Shaprut. Now, hold on, y'all. Bear with me, y'all. This is a lot a lot of reading. So I want y'all to just listen. I'm looking for a scripture, too, but go ahead and read. Who was foreign minister to Abd al-Rahman, Sultan of Cordova, in his letter to King Joseph of the Khazars about 960, speaks of the tradition according to which the Khazars once dwelt near the Seir Mountains. Near the who? The Seer Mountain. Where did the Where did it say the Clark the the? I'm sorry. Read that part again. The Seer Mountains. Who who dwelt near the Seer Mountains? The Khazars once dwelt near the Seer Mountains. They they once dwelt near the Seer Mountains. Let's get Genesis chapter thirty six, man. 
And I want you to read verse 1, and then we're going to jump. So Genesis chapter 36, verse 1. Genesis 36 and 1. Now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. Now jump down to verse 8. Verse 8. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. In Mount who? Seir. In Mount Seir. Now what did the dude say in the book? The Khazars once dwelt near the Seir Mountains. You can't make this stuff up, man. This, these are facts. Read all eight. No, no, no. Okay. Keep reading the, uh, who's Esau, who's Edom. The Seir Mountains are none other than the original land of Esau, Edom. Dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. Genesis 36 and 8. We just read that. Read. Seir was a mountain range south of the Dead Sea and was also known as the land of Edom, Genesis 36 and 21. The Seir Mountains were the home of the Edomites for nearly a millennium. Thus, it should be no surprise that migrants from that land would recall the name of their original homeland. The Khazars did originally dwell near the Seir Mountains, then the Khazars, and thus the world Jewry, are racially of Edomite stock. Mm, mm, mm. But how and when did Edomites get to Khazaria? There is evidence that in the 6th century B.C., some of the Edomites fled their homeland of Seir and migrated north. After the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., the Edomites began to press northward. In 586 B.C., so let's get there. Let's get Jeremiah chapter 27, and let's start at verse 2. So five, he said 586. Mm-hmm. 586 would be the Babylonians. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 27, start at verse, um, start at verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 27. Verse 1, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, came this word unto Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus saith the Lord to me, Make thee bonds and yokes, and put them upon thy neck, and send them to the king of Edom. To the king of who? Edom. So Jeremiah was told to make these bonds and yokes basically uh, change uh, peril of captivity and put them on himself. And he said, and send these, send them to the king of Edom. I'm sorry. He was told to make them and then send them. He was told to wear them uh, in another chapter. But here he's telling, he's saying he's told to make them and send them to the king of Edom and say what? And to the king of Moab and to the king of Ammon, of the, of the Ammonites, and to the king of Tyrus and to the king of Zidon, by the hand of the messengers, which come to Jerusalem unto Zedekiah, king of Judah, and command them to say unto their masters. Now, when he says king of Judah, remember, this was in the land of Judah. This is where we get the word Jew from. Read. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, thus shall ye say unto your masters, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground, by my great power 
and by my outstretched arm, and have given it unto whom it seems meet unto me. Mm-hmm. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. So this is Babylon, the Babylonian Empire coming into power. My servant and the beasts of the field have I given him also to serve him. Read. And all nations and shall who? and all nations all nations read shall serve him and his sons and his sons' sons and his sons' sons read until the very time of his land come. And then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. Right. They were going to be in tribute or servitude under the Babylonians, including the kingdom of the Edomites. Now go back to the, the book where he saw with Edom mm-hmm. and read that part again. The Seir Mountains are none other than the original land of Esau, Edom. Mm-hmm. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. Mm-hmm. Genesis 36 and 8. Seir was a mountain range south of the Dead Sea and was also known as the land of Edom. Genesis 36 and 21. The Seir Mountains were the home of the Edomites for nearly a millennium. Thus, it should be no surprise that the migrants from that land would recall the name of their original homeland. Mm-hmm. If the Khazars did originally dwell near the Seir Mountains, then the Khazars and thus world Jewry are racially of Edomite stock. But how and when did Edomites get to Khazaria? And this is the part I wanted to get to, y'all. Read. There is evidence that in the 6th century B.C., some of the Edomites fled their homeland of Seir and migrated north. After the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. So 586 B.C., this is when they left. This is when they left their homeland. They were pushed out by King Nebuchadnezzar. Read. The Edomites began to press northward, Ezekiel 36 and 5. The extent and ultimate destination of this northward trek is not found in history, but it is likely that it brought some Edomites to the region of Khazaria. The Edomites were also cast out of Palestine and dispersed in different directions in 70 A.D. when the Romans sacked Jerusalem. And we already read that. What page are you on to? That's, 13, that's 12. Mm-hmm. Keep reading. When thousands of these people are known to have migrated northward to Asia Minor and around the Black Sea region, when dealing with a people of mixed racial heritage, it becomes a real quandary to ascertain their origins. So when you're dealing with people with mixed blood, it's too thin. It's hard for you to trace their origin, origin back to where they came from. Read. The Jews of today are such a people. In fact, the Jews themselves assert they are mongrels because of the original mixed ancestry of the Jews and of their subsequent history of intermixture with every people among whom they have lived and continue to live. Right. So when it talks about the mongrels, it's talking about the so-called Chinese people. And I'm going to have to get into that. That's, that's in the timeline. Where are you at right now? Let me see where you're at. You got to. Because I don't want to read all of this. Uh, so let's jump ahead, y'all. I'm sorry about that, y'all. All right, so this is a lot, 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 lot of reading. So I want to get to the point. Um, 
the Edomites moved around a lot, and they were engulfed into other nations. Now I want to go and get this, y'all. This is from Wikipedia, and this is the timeline of Jerusalem. And let me get this. I told y'all, this is a lot, a lot, a lot of history, man. And I'm trying to give a crash course in this. So this is uh, Wikipedia, and this is the Jerusalem timeline. So it tells everything that happened in Jerusalem, man. This timeline is fire, man. I'm looking for 380. Bear with me, y'all. It's coming up. Here we go. So this is from the Jerusalem Timeline. Wikipedia says Byzantine period. And here we go. Read this right here. Where it says 380. 380. Theodosius I declares Nicene Christianity the state church of the Roman Empire. So this was after the Council of uh, Nicene or Council of Nietzsche. Read. The Roman Empire later loses its western provinces with Jerusalem continuing. So the Roman Empire fell. They lost their western provinces. It says with Jerusalem continuing, read. Under the jurisdiction of the Eastern Empire. The Eastern Empire, also known, read. Commonly known as the Byzantine Empire. Commonly known as the Byzantine Empire or the Holy Roman Empire. All right, so this is all history, y'all. So the Byzantine Empire goes on, and I'm I'm jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead, y'all. Stay with me. So the Byzantine Empire, they were in power. Then you have the early Muslim period where the Muslims jumped into Jerusalem, occupied Jerusalem, then you get the first crusade kingdom of Jerusalem. This is when the uh, Christianity was persecuting um, the Jews and the Muslims, kicking them out. Um, and we're jumping ahead. So the so the. Mamluk period and this is dealing with the Mongols because remember, I don't know if y'all remember in that book, it talked about how the Edomites mingled with the Mongols so we're jumping to that period, now we're getting to the Ottoman period, this is the important period that I'm trying to get to y'all so let me catch the date 1516, read this right here 1516, the Ottoman Empire replaces the Mamluks in Palestine after Sultan Selim I defeats the last Mamluk Sultan. 
Al Asharaf Quanush Quansha Al Gawri at the Battle of Marj Dabik, Aleppo, and the Battle of Yanis Khan, Gaza. So, so the Ottomans come in after the uh, Chinese, and they take control of Jerusalem. This happened in 1516, y'all. All right, stay with me. So the Ottomans are in power, the Turkish people, and these are white folks, y'all. These are Edomites. Now, I'm going to jump a lot. So now I'm going to 1860. So 1860, read this. 1860, the first Jewish neighborhood, Mishkanat, Sha'ananin, is built outside the old city walls in an area later known as Yemen Mosh. So when it says the first Jewish neighborhood, this is talking about the fake Jews, the people that falsely say that they're the Israelites or the Jews. So this is when their first neighborhood was built in 1860. This is when the Ottoman Turks were still in power, still in control. All right? It's very important to remember. Now, uh, matter of fact, keep reading. Just keep reading. By Sir Moses Montefiore and Judas Turo as part of the process to leave the walls. Now, this is 1862. 1862, Moses Hess publishes Rome and Jerusalem, arguing for a Jewish homeland in Palestine. They were arguing for what? A Jewish homeland in Palestine. So this is when the argument came about of a Jewish homeland that was in Palestine, which would be modern-day Israel. Keep reading. Matter of fact, wait, wait, wait. Now jump to uh, 1881. There we go. 1881, the American colony is established by Chicago natives Anna and Horatio Spafford. And keep reading. Eliezer Ben... Yeah, 1882. Yeah, go ahead. Read that one too. 1881. Now listen to this. Eliezer Ben Yehuda... Eliezer Ben Yehuda, read. ...moves to Jerusalem to begin his development of modern Hebrew... Of what? Modern Hebrew. Modern Hebrew was developed in what, what year? 1881. Modern Hebrew was developed in 1881. How can they be the people of the Bible that supposedly speak ancient Hebrew if their modern Hebrew had, hadn't been developed yet? It's just getting developed in 1881. I hope everybody's seeing this. Read that again. 1881, Eliezer ben Yehuda moves to Jerusalem to begin his development of modern Hebrew to replace the languages used by Jews who made Aliyah from various regions of the world. This is when the Yiddish was developed. Now we're going to jump to 1897. Read that. 1887. 1887 to 1888. Ottoman Palestine divided into districts of Jerusalem. So this is when they start dividing, chopping Palestine up. Nablus and Acre, Jerusalem district, is autonomous, i.e. attached directly to Istanbul. <laughs> so it was a part of Istanbul, Turkey, which was the capital of the Holy Roman Empire. Now, read 18, uh, 1897. 
1897, First Zionist Congress at which Jerusalem was discussed as the possible capital of a future Jewish state in response, Abdul Hamid II initiates policy of sending members of his own palace staff to govern province of Jerusalem. So they're slowly but surely bringing these Jewish people into their region, so much so that these Turkish people who were Muslims, they didn't want it, so they, they had to start governing stuff. Now, I didn't get this part, but what happened was the British, they were in league with the Turks, and they was fighting. I, I forget who they were fighting against. It might have been the uh, other Muslims, but they were fighting with them. So they, they got cool. But you know how Esau is. They always fighting amongst each other. They turned on each other. So we're going to speed up to 1917. Read that. 1917, the Ottomans are defeated at the Battle of Jerusalem, during the First World War. Boom. The Ottomans are defeated during the First World War, and this is why the war was fought, because they were trying to issue in a state for the Jewish people. And the Ottoman Turks was like, hell no, I'm not letting y'all do that. But this is part of the reason, the main reason, World War One was fought, y'all. Keep reading. The British Army's General Allenby enters Jerusalem on foot in a reference to the entrance of Caliph Umar in 637. The Balfour Declaration had been issued just a month before. And the Balfour Declaration had already been issued. And this is way back in 1917. So even though they didn't officially become a state to 1948, the declaration for Balfour was issued in 1917 during the first war, y'all. Now, I'm definitely going to cover the rest of this, uh, Lord willing, next class, y'all. But that's my time. I'm not going to run over today. Uh, I like to thank the water to Mashaba for hooking up the broadcast. The water for everybody listening in. I hope y'all are edified with this class. I hope I wasn't moving too fast. If you got any questions, please call, hit me up, let me know. But until next week, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to please tune in to Tuzza Pie. Tuesday. Tuzza Pie. Tuesday. Tuzza Pie. Tuesday. Every Tuesday. And with that, y'all, we're going to say shalom. shalom.